You ever see these before? I'm guessing you have. I seen this. This usually this goes this is in your wall, this goes connected. It usually has one on the other side. Now this look a little more familiar. Well, this is from my guest bathroom, and you're asking, why isn't it there? That's the question I was thinking. Well, I get home a few nights ago, maybe like a week ago, and my wife says, hey, you need to go into our front bathroom because something happened. So I go in there and I see this on the floor next to this. And so as I asked her, I said, well, care what happened? She says, well, I, I don't know. I went in there and it was on the floor. So because I have this like law and order, if you're old school, Matlock uh, kind of thing, you know, detective work in me, I decided to do some old fashioned detective work and start questioning potential people. And so I, my wife doesn't know what's happening. So I, I have a two and a half year old suspect. And so I start asking her some questions and I say, uh, Mama, do you know how this broke? No, Poppy. I say, uh, okay, um, Mama, did you touch these today? Yes, Poppy. I say, Mama, do you, do you know what happened? She says, I don't know, Poppy. I hanging on it and then it broke. <laughs> Famous last words. I... Um, I was speaking at a church a couple of weeks ago, the church that I came from nine years ago, and uh, I was there, and I, I gave the message. I mean, this has never happened to me before, but I gave the message, and after I was done, people started to give me a standing ovation. Like, that's never... Like, you've heard me talk. I mean, you know why. I, it's never happened. People start giving me a standing ovation, and I, I couldn't believe it. And so I just kind of kept talking, and I was giving an invitation for people to come forward and all that, uh, to receive Christ as their Savior. And so I kind of stopped it from happening. Well, I get home so excited. And I tell my wife, I'm like, people started giving me a standing ovation after hearing this message. I mean, Carrie, I was that good. And And my wife says, well... She says, Bob, they probably just needed to go to the bathroom because sometimes you go long. Like, well, thank you. Famous last words. Um, yesterday, I was, uh, I was at home on my day off, and my daughter decides, because she has all these shows on TV, but she's decided that she likes watching her shows on my computer better. So, she has, so we've downloaded some shows for her, like the Little Einsteins and all the Disney shows. But uh, so she's watching little line signs on this little desk area that I have at home. And um, so she's watching, but she decides to start hitting some buttons. And um, as she hits some buttons, she gets the video message that I recorded that I sent out. How many of you got that video message I recorded this week? All right. About 50 percent of you. The other half of you need to buy a computer. Um, and so uh, so I get so anyway. So, you know, you click on it and it's like my, it's like a real close shot of my head. And it's like, hi, this is Pastor Bob, blah, 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 blah. Well, she listens to that over, so she is watching Little Einstein's, that's already, that's still running in the background, when she gets the pop-up of the, me, right? And so, it's just, hi, this is Pastor Bob, you know, kind of goes into the whole thing, right? And she just starts going on and on and on, and it's like, she just, every time it ends, she keeps, keeps hitting the space bar, so it, so it would start again, right? And so, I mean, like, tw I'm, I'm starting to hate the sound of my own voice after like 20 times. Well, then... She says, Poppy, fix it because it was broken. So I get the little Einsteins going again on her computer. She says, no, I want Pastor Bob. 
Well, then this morning, uh, I'm getting ready to leave because I leave for church before they do. So when my daughter is waking up, I'm leaving. And so I, I say good morning and, and goodbye to her at the same time. And she says, um, you know, she says, Bobby, stay with me. And I said, no, Mama, Bobby has to go to church. And then, and I said, remember, Bobby is Pastor Bob. And she says, oh, you're Pastor Bob. This was like a shocking revelation to her. These, the, I mean, like, man, these famous last words. And, and I tell you all that to say this. I mean, you know, sometimes you walk into a situation, like there's this big moment in your life, and someone stops you and shares some words that maybe aren't quite that funny, but you, sometimes they're words that are serious that begin to mold and shape who you are. Sometimes you get famous last words of someone who's stepping out from this life to the next. And what happens is, they share something with you, and it really rearranges who you are. Maybe a big event is happening in your life, and they stop you, they put their hand on your shoulder, and they speak some words, and those words reshape, cause you to rethink who you are, and, and you begin to change the, the whole trajectory of your life. Well, here's what takes place. Uh, I was graduating from high school, and you guys know my story, that I was on the five-year plan in high school. People ask me, hey, what was it like to be a senior? Best two years of my life. So you know that. But here's, here's what takes place. Um, I am in line to get my diploma, right? And I keep thinking that they're going to stop me and be like, get out, you know, that, that, they're gonna, like, I'm going to get found out. Well, I'm in line to get my diploma, and my mom, who's in the crowd, she ends up coming backstage. She wants to say something to me before um, I, I get you know, get my diploma. And people in line are talking about what they're getting, what they got as graduation gifts. Now, I did not come from an affluent background by any stretch of the imagination, but I did go to a school that a lot of kids who had affluence went to. So the kids in line are talking about like, oh yeah, I got a BMW for graduation. And I'm thinking like, dude, I would have settled for BMX. Forget BMW. And so... I am, am waiting in line. My mom comes up to me, and, and I'm thinking, like, because some of the parents are coming back saying words, hugging their kids, or weeping, you know. And my mom comes up to me, she puts her hand on my shoulder, and I think she's going to tell me, like, the deep wisdom, you know, like, this is it. She puts her hand on my shoulder, and she says, Robert, it's about time. You know, that's, it. that's all I got. And uh, that was, that, those, those were her words of, of wisdom, you know, the, the, the famous last words. But here's the deal. We're finishing the book of Revelation. Can I ask you this question? How many of you were with us in February when we started this book? Seven months ago. Yeah, look at that. Look at that. Awesome. How many of you would say, man, I have grown like a lot uh, through this, this study of, of Revelation? Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad. That's the work that Revelation is supposed to do. It's the work that God's Word does in our lives. We start working through books of the Bible. That's what we've done here for the last nine years. Uh, in fact, I was just looking that in the last nine years, we've worked our way through 22 different books of the Bible that we've been teaching through. But here's the thing that's important. As we come to the end of Revelation, we come to the end of Revelation, and if, if someone's words that they speak to us are, can have the, the possibility of shaping our lives, how much more the very final words of the Bible would have the opportunity to mold and shape our lives to who God is calling us to be? So I want you to understand where we are in Revelation, if you've been tracking with us for all these months. 
You see, all the judgment has happened. The, the Jesus has returned. The millennium is over. Satan is done away with. And now a new heaven and a new earth have been created. And we're all going to live happily ever after. But here's the deal. But before the book ends, there's a few final words that Jesus has for believers who are reading this book that he wants us to know something. That these words are supposed to change us and shape us and mold us and conform us into His image, into the lives that He wants us to live. So please, can I encourage you, don't ignore these famous last words. Because these words aren't jokes. These words aren't just filler to kind of get us to the end. Instead, they're supposed to take our relationship with God to another level. And if I could be so bold as to say that these words just don't mean a lot, I believe these words mean everything. We're going to see three things that these words do and the work that they do in our lives. In Revelation 22, you can turn there with me if you would. We're going to start in verse 6, where the Bible says this. It says, Then he said to me, These words are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angels to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. Behold, I'm coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Now I, John, saw and heard these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. And then he said to me, see that you do not do that. For I am your fellow servant and one of your brethren, the prophets, who those who keep the words of this book, worship God. And he said to me, do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he who is holy, let him be holy still. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, as I mentioned, I want to share three important things with you that these words are supposed to do in your life and in mine if you're taking notes in the handout that we gave you. And the first is this, is that these words challenge my walk with God. These words challenge my walk with God. Why? Because we recognize that Jesus is coming. And if Jesus is coming, it causes us to rethink what it is that we're doing right now. I shared this story a few months ago, but when I was about 11 years old, uh, my, I was allowed to stay home alone for the very first time. Uh, I come from, uh, you know, my, my family's Cuban, which means they're also half insane. Um, and so what, what that means is, is that, you know, they're very protective and all that. And so I was 11 the first time I was able to stay home. Now, what took place is that... Um, my mom said, I'm going up. It was very quick. She says, I'm going up to the store, and I'm going to pick up two or three things, and then I'm coming right back. So you can stay. You can come with me or stay if you want to. I chose to stay. And so I remember it was 1984. And I remember it was 1984 because when she left, I grabbed my Van Halen 1984 record. Now, those of you that are under the age of 20, you're like, record? What's that? It was these big, giant pieces of vinyl that actually played music on a needle that went around. And you say, what is this? Was there like a little monkey pedaling that propelled this thing to happen? Yes, there was. Well, anyway, well, so she goes to the supermarket. I get my Van Halen album going. And what takes place is now I, let me give you a little bit of background here. because This is very important. Uh, being coming from a Latin home, all of our furniture was covered in plastic because our goal was to preserve the 1960s as long as possible. And so not only was our furniture covered in plastic, but even the lampshade had a plastic covering. Now, I remember the day we took that lampshade off. All of it, like the top and the bottom were yellow, but the part that had the plastic was perfectly new, which is like, you know, 
it looked kind of like an eclair. You know, it's just very weird looking. Um, so anyway, this is the deal that's going on. So, I mean, you had to be very careful. You, there was no, like, horsing around on the furniture. Like, my daughter now, she jumps up and down on the furniture. We tell her no. She laughs at us. You know, like, I couldn't mess around like that. You jump on the furniture, you get beat. That's like, that's how, that, that was like law and order in my house back then. And so, I mean, you were allowed to sit sometimes on the furniture. I remember like in the summer months, we didn't have AC. I grew up in Boston. And so there was only like one room that had AC and it wasn't the living room or my room. So you would get up from the, uh, from the, the, the couch covered in plastic. It was, like, it was like fruit. You were like a human fruit roll up, you know, as you were coming off. Because you were coming. So, I, so you got to understand this. So she leaves. And I turn on my Van Halen album and I start jumping up and down, doing my best Eddie Van Halen impression. You know, it was amazing until I heard boom. My mom had forgotten something as I was jumping up and down on the furniture covered in plastic that I was barely even allowed to sit on. And the judgment of God came into my life at that moment. And uh, it hurt me. Uh, and, and here's the thing. Here's the thing. Some of you just got that. Okay, it's all right. There's a reason we have coffee outside. Um, now, here's the deal. I want, you, I want you to think about this. Is that I remember when I first became a Christian. And I remember thinking when, when I was taught, first taught, that Jesus could come back at any moment, right? And I remember thinking to myself, if Jesus could come back at any moment, that means he'd come back today. And if he, came, if he could come back today, and then I had this idea, and I had this question I used to ask myself, do I really want to be doing this? Whatever this is, whatever it is I was doing, when Jesus comes back. And this became like the greatest deterrent for a life of crime for me. Because, you know, am I going to do that? I don't want to do that. Because what if Jesus comes back at that moment? Like, I think it would be great if Jesus came back on a Sunday. Like, and we were here. That would be perfect. I think it would be even better for me. Because I'd be preaching. And then I'd be like, and another thing, you know. And then, boom, it happens. We're in front of, like, right there in front of God. I'm like... Hey! And then, you know, you can imagine God, he's like, no, keep going, I was listening. What else about me? Like, I don't know, you know, I just think it'd be really good. I think it'd be really good. But what happens is, is that, so I always had this, like, this thing in, in my mind. And listen, it caused me to really make different types of decisions as a young Christian because I had this idea in my mind and in my heart that Jesus could really come back at any moment. In the book of First John, it's in the notes that we gave you. Here's what it says. It says, dear friends, we all are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him for we'll see him as he really is. And all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure just as he is pure. You see, the fact that Jesus is coming back is supposed to challenge us. It's supposed to challenge our walk. It's supposed to challenge our lives. It's supposed to challenge the preconceived notions as to the way that we use our time, the way that we use our energy, the way that we use our stuff, the way that we use our resources, the way that our relationships with people work, the way that we extend forgiveness or not extend forgiveness. All of that is supposed to affect us. And see, what would happen if we really believed that, that Jesus really could come back at any moment? I mean, what would we decide would be really, really important? And what would we cast aside as something that was very trivial? You see, Jesus is coming back, and here's what the angel says. He says, blessed is he who keeps the words of this book. That's the passage that we read. He says, blessed is he who keeps the word of this book. Basically, it's 
you know, you're blessed when you do what it is that God has said. That's when you're, that's when you're, that's when you're blessed, when you do what it is that God has said. If there's anything I've learned in my 16 plus years of being a follower of Jesus, here's what I know. It's that life is always better. It's infinitely better when I do what God says. Now, sometimes it doesn't feel that way, and here's why. It's because sometimes we go our own way, and when we go our own way and then we decide to go God's way, what happens is there's some pain involved in getting off the road that I'm on and getting onto the road that God wants us to be on. And here, but here's the thing, and this is just an important point for life. I would rather have momentary pain and lasting joy. Because if not, then what I'm going to have is momentary joy and lasting pain. This isn't in your notes, but I want you to jot this down from Proverbs chapter 13. It's Proverbs 13, verse 15. It says this. It says, good understanding gains favor, but the way of the unfaithful is hard. The idea is, is that if I'm doing what God wants me to do, there's lasting joy. But if I'm on the wrong road, it says the way of the unfaithful is hard. Why? Because there's lasting Pain. Getting on the road may have been momentary joy, but as you get down further in the road, all there is is lasting pain. Here's what I mean. Let's say you're in a relationship that you know that God doesn't approve of. Maybe you're, you're a Christian and the person that you're in a relationship with is not a Christian. Now, they, you say, well, he mentions God every once in a while when he gets mad. That doesn't count. Um, you know, he called on Jesus when he hurt himself the other day. That doesn't count. Um, now, what it is is this. You have a choice. You have a choice. And this, let me just come out real, real honest. Here's the choice. You have the choice of you can either end the relationship and do what God says. Moment, and I'm not saying that it's easy. I'm saying that that involves pain. But see, it's momentary pain, but then has lasting joy because then you find someone that loves God as much as you do, that has the same view of the world, the same view of uh how to view God, how to view children, how to view marriage, how to view life together and say, well, so there's momentary pain there, but there's lasting joy. Or you can say, it just seems too hard to end the relationship, so I'm going to accept momentary joy, but what you're going to find is as you go down that road is lasting pain. Now, this is very, very important. You say, well, how do you know it's lasting pain? Because all you have to do is talk to people who have not made the decision to end the relationship and find someone that loves God as much as they do. And, and you know what, I, because I've talked to many people over the years, and here's what, I, here's what they say to me in a moment of just transparency. They say, Pastor, if I, I would do anything right now to hit the rewind button. To go back to when, before I made this decision to get married, to have kids, with this person who doesn't really love God, I, I would make the decision and I would, I would take the momentary pain so that I could have the lasting joy. And see, all you've got to do is, is talk to that person and say, oh, no, 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 but the person I'm, I'm dating is different. Listen, it's not. It's not because I've just seen it happen too many times over and over and over again. You see, here's what we say. We say, well, you know what's going to happen is, is that he's going to change, she's going to change after we get married. Listen, I've been to a lot of weddings. No one changes because of a ceremony. And besides the fact, when you think about it, what if they're thinking the same thing about you? You're a Christian, you love God, you read the Bible, you come to church, and here's what he says. Well, you know what's going to happen is that once we get married and things start getting busy, they're really going to lay off all that Jesus stuff. 
Well, he's not going to think that. Why not? Well, because I don't want him to. Well, he doesn't want you. You know, see, what happens is it's unfair to say that we want the person to change. It's like, you know, I want us to get married, but after we get married, I need you to become someone else. Could you do that for me? Well, if that's the case, just marry someone else and you have, you have, it'll work out much better. But the, the, the key is this. Lasting pain because of momentary joy or do we take the momentary pain that leads to lasting joy? Listen, good understanding gains favor, but the way of the unfaithful is hard. Whenever I obey God's word, listen, life is infinitely better. So the deal is this. Because if we obey God's word, you know what happens? It never leaves us stranded. Let me read you Psalm 1. I, in fact, I put all six verses of Psalm 1 in your outline. It's, it's worthy of memorizing. Here's what it says. It says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. His leaf, his leaf will, he's like planted by the streams of water, which yields fruit in its season, whose leaf does not wither, but whatever he does prospers. Not so with the wicked. They're like the chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. You see, if the return of Jesus does anything in your life and in mine, it challenges my walk to say, am I really living in such a way that if Jesus came back today, I wouldn't be ashamed. But instead, I'd be one who's waiting and ready for his return. Well, verse 12, the story continues. He says this. And behold, I'm coming quickly and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do the commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter the gates into the city. But outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, here's what we see. The first is, is that these words, they challenge my walk. Number two, these words check my work for God. If the first challenge my walk with God, the second check my work for God. Now, why is that? Let me explain it this way. Um, I used to work at this hoagie shop. Now, now we call them subs. But if you're from up north, like New England, they're called hoagies. In fact, they're like hoagies. That's how you really say it. Because you've got to have like that hoagies. And practice it. You'll get it in a week or two. If you really commit yourself to two, three hours a day. Hoagie, hoagie. You know, anyway. Um, well, here's the deal. I used to work at this hoagie shop. And I will admit that it was a pretty loose operation. In fact, I'd only been there for about three or four weeks and they made me the assistant manager. They didn't even know my last name and I was an assistant manager there. So I'm just kind of gives you an idea as to what's going on. Assistant manager means I'm the guy who cooks the meat. That's pretty much all the assistant manager does. He's the grill man. Well, anyway, um, our boss decides to leave for, for the day. Uh, or not for the day, but the, the lunch rush ends about 2 o'clock. The dinner rush started at about 5.30. So he decides to leave and go home. He says, I'll come back for the dinner rush, get everything cleaned up, get everything um, kind of prepped for, the, for dinner, and then we'll, we'll, you know, get, we'll, I'll come back. Well, so he lets us know. We know he's not coming back for a while. And so we all decided to have lunch, which was pretty normal. But then we decided that after as lunch, now mind you, the people that worked there, it was me and three of my best friends from high school. So just giving you an idea as to the madness that's going on in this sub shop 
well, we decide that after we eat lunch that we're just going to play a hand of poker. It was five bucks a hand. That's how we did things back then. And, um, and so it was then we said, well, let's play another hand. Well, let's just play one more hand. Two and a half hours later, we're still playing poker. In fact, uh, calls are coming in for dinner, and we're just taking the orders and then putting them on the line to get done, and we're still playing. Because we keep saying, we're going to play one more, and that's it. So it's like 4.30 in the afternoon. We haven't done anything for dinner. All we're doing is just playing hands of poker because some guys have lost a lot of money. Um, and so we're, we're, we're playing this, and we keep, well, we're just going to play one more, and then we're done. And we're, then, then we're done. Well, we keep doing this, right? And then we hear the boom in the background. Now, our boss always came through the front, but this time he decided to surprise us. He told us he was coming back later, and he showed up earlier. He showed up through the back door. I knew he was back when I started hearing the screaming. And so he saw that nothing was done, and then he popped in, and he saw all of us, you know. You you know it's not good when you're all holding cards. You know, like, hey, this is all part of our prep work. Well, he started screaming, yelling, throwing pots and pans, using words I can't repeat, and going nuts. And, and here's the thing. Um, and, and why? And, here, and here's the deal. is because our work didn't reflect the belief that he was coming, that he was coming back. Our work didn't reflect that. And listen, the same thing is true in our work for God. In our service for the Lord. If we don't really believe that He's coming back, you know what's going to happen? We're going to be slothful. We're going to be lazy. We're going to see that serving God, giving God our very best, doesn't really matter. Uh, in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus would say it this way in an amazingly picturesque way. He says this, Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the Master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him in doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that that servant is wicked and says to himself, but my master is staying away a long time. And he begins to beat his fellow servants and eat and drink with the drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, in an hour that he's not aware of. And he will cut them to pieces and assign a place with the hypocrites where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, check this out. If if you'll pause there and give me your attention. You see, when I forget that Jesus is coming back and that he could come back today, it causes me, it causes us to be lazy in our service. Not because we are purposely seeking to be lazy in our service, but because we kind of lose our sight. We take our eye off the ball, so to speak. And then what happens is, is that we forget who it is that we're serving and why it is that we're serving altogether. Now, sometimes here's what happens. And I hear people say this, and I think that sometimes people say it, uh, they're well-intentioned and they just don't realize what it is that they're saying. But people will say this, you know, I've been serving for a few weeks and helping you guys out. Helping me out. I don't need help. I, we don't need help. We've never asked for help. In nine years in, in, in this church, we've never stood up and said, we could really use your help. But here's what we have said, is that we've created opportunities for people to use their gifts and talents to serve God. Because there's, there's a big difference, and the difference is as big between a tangerine and a submarine. And, 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 here's, and here's why. The reason is, is because when you're helping me out, it's like, oh, I'm doing Bob a favor. 
when you're serving God, you recognize that your ability to be able to enjoy eternity is rooted in our reward that comes based on our service for God. You see, if we recognize that our service for God and our sacrifice for God were going to count when it comes to how we enjoy eternity, we would be falling over each other in service because we recognize that eternity is a lot longer than right now, but how we enjoy then matters as to what we do right now. When we talk about sacrifice, when, when, the, when the offering bucket goes by, we would be grabbing it out of the other guy's hands and give me that. I'm going to enjoy eternity more. Not because, listen, not because what I give is, gets me into eternity. Jesus handles that. But we recognize that our service and our sacrifice tell us the depth in which we'll be able to enjoy eternity. Because Jesus says in the passage that we read, I'm coming quickly and my reward is with me. My daughter loves the movie Toy Story. Like, I, I should have brought the picture. Uh, we were in Disney last week. She met Buzz and Woody from Toy Story. She was awestruck. I mean, she was, I mean, it was like she had finally seen her best friends. You know, and I mean, she held, you know, Woody's hand. They took pictures together. She gave them kisses. It was unbelievable. Well, she, and so we've watched Toy Story and Toy Story 2, I can't even tell you how many times. I have both movies memorized completely. I've never even tried to memorize a line, but I can play any character in that movie. I could play the role of Mr. Potato Head right now in either movie and get all the lines right because I've seen the movie so many times. Now, the deal is this, is that my daughter had been so good with the birth of my son, Alexander, and we thought that maybe she'd be jealous, but she's been amazing. So we decided that we were going to do something special for her. She had all of the different toys from Toy Story, except for the horse, Bullseye, from Toy Story 2. So I decided that I was going to make it my mission, which this thing is impossible to find. Well, I found it on eBay. Somebody was selling it in the box. for not that It was actually a pretty good deal. So I you know, talked him down or whatever. I bought it, had it shipped to my office. And then I, I, I say I called her. She called me because my daughter somehow knows how to get my wife's iPhone, turn it on, and call me. I'm not sure. There's, she knows how to do stuff on the phone that I don't know how to do yet. Um, well, either way, um, she, decide, she calls me, and so we talk for a minute because she calls me you know, a couple times a day uh, just to let me know what's going on. And so I call her, and I tell her, I say, Mama, I've got a special surprise for you because you've been such a good girl. There is a reward that's coming. Now, I want to tell you something. Sometimes when I get home... She's like watching TV. She's playing with her toys. Sometimes she's having a tea party uh, with some of her friends. And it's like I come home and it's like, yeah, whatever. But when she came to the realization that because of her, her service, and she had been such a good girl with her brother, that there was a reward that was attached to it. A, she became even more loving towards her brother. But the other thing is, and that, that's another thing altogether, but the other thing is this, she was ready for my return. And when her mom told her that I was home because she heard the car pull up, I wasn't, I didn't even have to put the key in the door. She was standing in the doorway waiting for me because she knew that I had returned and my reward, her reward was with me. And listen, that's the very same thing. The key is, as Christians, are we waiting at the door for Jesus? And if we're waiting at the door for Jesus, it, re it reflects in our 
time. It reflects in what we do with our talent. It reflects in what we do with our treasure and what we're doing with our lives. Or are we resting in the notion that Jesus is delaying? You see, there's two types of people. There's the wise and faithful servant that Jesus talks about. And then there's someone else. There's the wicked servant who says, yeah, whatever. Ah, He's coming back, I'm sure, at some point. But I doubt it's today. I doubt it's tomorrow. I doubt it's next week. But see, the most faithful people, the people that really experience everything that God has for them in their lives are the people that live with an expectancy that Jesus is coming back. It challenges their walk with God. It checks their work for God. And then it does one more thing. Check out what happens in verse 16. This is where we close it out. It says this. It says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you the things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, come and let him who hears come and let him who thirsts come and let whoever desires, let him drink of the water of life freely. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of this prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the uh, the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. And he who testifies to these things says, surely I'm coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. I want you to pause there as we look at this last thing. What do these words do? They challenge my walk with God. They check my work for God. But then here's the third thing that it does. These words center my worship of God. They center my worship of God. Now, what do I mean by that? Here's what I mean. Uh, when I was in Bible college, this is like a million years ago now, um, I took a job at night delivering chicken. Yes, these are the heights from which I come. Um, I took a job delivering chicken at night so I could go to school during the day. And so I remember one evening in particular that I was driving to check. Uh, to, to, I was driving. To, by the way, you can go to your next class. Um, and um, I was I was driving to deliver some chicken to somebody's house. And I was listening to a worship CD that I just got. And I don't know what it is that happened. I just really got caught up in the moment. And I was, a, I was a new Christian. I mean, I had only been a Christian for like two years. But I was like so caught up in this moment of, of what was happening that I, I just lifted my hands to worship God. And I'm like, God, you take the wheel. And this is before Carrie Underwood told him to. Um, and I'm like, all right. And I just worship. I'm like, God, you take the wheel. I'm just going to worship. I closed my eyes. And I want you to imagine the hazard uh, that this was. I close my eyes, I lifted my hands, and I'm singing out to God with all I've got, right? And, and here's the deal, is that then I hear, and I hit the median. And I'm like crushing trees and all this stuff that were in, 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 the, in the median, all because I'm, 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 I'm worshiping, and my car also had bad alignment. Um, and, and this is the thing. Now, here's the deal. Here's the deal. And that's the moral of the story, is that bad alignment frustrates your worship. Not just when you're driving and close your eyes and lift up your hands, but also when it comes to life. If, if I am not totally aligned to the person and work of Jesus in my life, I, and I, I start drifting. And I start drifting, and instead of worshiping God, I start worshiping something else. And you and I are a reflection of who or what we worship. It's just a fact of life. It's not that, oh, well, I don't worship anything. It, you do. Everyone. We are created to worship. And everyone worships something. And if you say, well, I don't worship anything. You do. You worship yourself. But everyone worships something. 
Whatever it is that you give your time, your talent, your treasure, your best effort, energy, and allegiance, that is what you worship. Uh, you and I all know people who worship their car. Uh, worship their, yeah, they give all their best time, talent, treasure, effort, energy, and attention to their car. And you know what happens? They start acting like their car. You know a guy, he's got like a 65 Mustang in his garage that he spends all his time working on, and you talk to him, he's like, Ray, what's going on? What's, what's happening? The guy sounds like a 450 engine. He just sounds like it. And that thing doesn't have AC, and he's always sweating. What? It's just you are what you worship. You are a reflection of what you worship. It's just the way it is. We're a reflection of what it is that we worship. And the deal is this. That's why... In, the, in, in what we just read, when, when John is so overwhelmed by what he sees that he tries to worship an angel who's telling him all of this, the angel says, don't do that. Worship God. Get your alignment right. Because what it is that, who it is that we worship will come out and, and reflect in who it is that we are as people. And that's what I love about the book of Revelation is that Revelation, if you're a Christian, is supposed to give you confidence. It's not supposed to scare you. And I know people try to scare, you know, young kids and whatever with the book of Revelation. And it's not supposed to do that. It's supposed to give you confidence to tell you how the story is going to end. That no matter how bad things get, we have this confidence and this hope is that we're going to win. Let me share it with you this way. The other day, this is about two months ago, I'm sitting at home watching a baseball game. Uh, the Red Sox were on. and Thank you. And um, and we're watching, and I'm extremely calm. I'm sitting, my daughter's there, who's two and a half, and I'm explaining to her the, interest, the intricacies of how you turn a 6-4-3 double play. And so she's very interested in this. Um, and so as we're talking about this, my wife comes over and looks, and she sees that the Red Sox are losing 6 to nothing, And I'm not yelling. Because when the Red Sox are normally losing 6 to nothing, I'm yelling at the players, I'm yelling at the manager, the bench coach, the general manager, the owners, the guy who cut the grass, the umpires. I mean, I am upset. It usually ruins my whole day uh, when they lose. And so, anyway, so all this is going on, and I am perfectly calm. In fact, my wife walks in, and she sees, like, how calm I am. I'm joking around with my daughter, and she looks, and she says, 6 to nothing. I'm calm. Six nothing. I'm calm. Six nothing. I'm laughing. Six nothing. And she says to me, she says, are you watching this? I said, oh, yeah. She says, you do know they're losing. I said, oh, they're not just losing. They're getting their butts handed to them. And she says, yeah, well, they're. She says, I said, listen, I've never seen them play. I've never seen them play this bad as they're playing right now. She says, but you're not mad. I said, yeah, but I'm watching this for the second time. They, they end up winning in the end. <laughs> now, she wasn't that happy because there was some stuff she had asked me to do, and I said, I'll do it when the game's over. <laughs> so I was kind of delaying that by watching it a second time. But let me tell you what happened the first time I watched this game. I was, my stomach was in knots. They were, I was upset. I was mad. I was like, you know yelling at the TV, I was saying, I hate you, you know, I can't believe you're doing this to me. Why are you guys doing this to me? You know, and all that, because I know all of them were thinking about me when the game was going on. And, uh, you know, let's really stick it to Bob this time. And so, now, all of this is going on, right? 
And now they ended up, they were playing the Orioles in this game. They ended up scoring seven times uh, in the bottom of the ninth inning to win it. It was amazing. It was amazing. I don't know if I've ever been happier in my life. It was like the birth of my two children that day, like right underneath. I was, I was elated. I was elated. Oh, my wedding, right there, right around there. Uh, <laughs> comedic effect, people, comedic effect. And so now, now here's the thing, is that all this is going on, right? All this is going on. And I was all tied up in knots. They won it. I'm so happy. But I got to tell you, the second time I watched it, I was calm, rejoicing. And oh, man, it got bad. When they, two errors in the same inning, it, it was bad. But I was okay. Because I knew how it ended. And I want to tell you something, that that's the whole point of the book of Revelation in your life and mine. It tells us how the story is going to end. So no matter how bad things get in your life and mine, no matter how bad the world gets and all the things that are going on, here's the promise that we have. The promise that we have is, is that we are going to win because we are on the winning team. And that's a great promise for us to understand. And I love how the book ends. I love how the book ends with Jesus, with the Spirit, with the bride, the church, saying, come on. Come on to what? He's inviting us to the party. Inviting us to the party that's taking place in eternity, but the party that starts even now. In the Bible, it says this, and it's in your notes, and I'm not going to take the time to read it. In Luke 15, it says this, that when some one sinner repents, that means that they change their direction from a, way, a path that goes to destruction to a path that leads to life. When they open their heart, invite Jesus inside. Here's what the Bible says, that there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels and that the angels themselves rejoice. Who is in the presence of the angels? God is. That when one person turns from darkness to light, from going their own way to going God's way, when they invite Christ into their life and receive forgiveness of their sins and a place in eternity and their past is forgiven, here's what happens. The Bible says that there is a party in heaven going on just over one person who makes that decision. I mean, what, what kind of party this is? They party like it's 1999. I don't know how it works up there. But I do know this, that there is enough rejoicing, I'm sure, that if referees were to see God rejoicing, it would be like an end zone celebration that would warrant a 15-yard penalty. I'm sure of it. And here's the deal. The deal is this. That's how much God loves you. That's how much, that, that's, those are the extremes that God is willing to go to for this kind of love that he has for you and for me. How much does a person love that God would send his son into the world to live a perfect life, to die this horrible death on a cross, to, to be risen from the dead? Why? Because our relationship with God had been severed. Because you and I have sinned. We've all fallen short. We've all done stuff wrong. We've all known what God wants us to do and done the opposite. The Bible calls that sin, and here's the deal. The deal is, is that God didn't exact it from us. Instead, He sent His Son to pay the price for us. And because of that, now He's able to freely offer forgiveness to us if we'll receive it. So here's the question for us, and this is, this is one of the reasons I love this church so much. is because for nine years, in this church, here's what we've done. We've made it, we made a decision early on when it was just my wife and I and five people. That's how this church got started. 
my wife and I and five people, we decided that this would never be a church that was just about us. It was always going to be a place that was about the person that we knew that was far from God. That would have the opportunity to come into an environment like this and hear music that they could connect with and hear a message that they could relate to their life, but also have an opportunity to invite Jesus to come into their life and see their whole life now and eternity changed forever. I mean, think about it. Just this year, just this year, over 500 people have made that decision to follow Jesus. That, that's incredible. That's incredible to me. Because all of us have caught that vision. And we have that burning in our hearts that it's, it's never been just about us. It's always been about the next person who's far from God that needs to know God. And that's what the book of Revelation ends with the same spirit that God has given to us. That says, come on in. Come on in. The party hasn't started yet. In fact, there's a party in heaven that, that, that heaven wants to have where you are the reason for the celebration. And so as we close this morning, here's what I want to give you the opportunity. I want to give you the opportunity to have this, this celebration that happens in heaven today be because of a decision that you make. Where if you've never invited Jesus to come into your life, and I'm not talking about knowing stuff about God or, you know, have doing first communion as a kid. I'm not talking about anything like that. I'm talking about you as an adult making a decision to invite Jesus to come into your life to forgive you because of what he did on the cross. And that because of that work, as we invite him into our lives, he forgives us of our past. He can give us peace in the present as his spirit comes to live, reside in us. And then at the same time, he gives us a place in eternity secured for the future. My friends, that's the work that God wants to do. So I want to do what the end of Revelation says is simply invite you to the party. If you want to be there, if you want to celebrate. And here's what I know. I'm going to close in prayer in just a second. And I'm going to pray and then I'm going to invite you to repeat a prayer with me. And it's not a magic formula. The words simply, I'm going to give you the words to say because maybe they'll articulate what it is that your heart is experiencing and what you're feeling right now. And then what's going to happen is, is that after we pray, this place is going to explode in rejoicing and clapping and cheering. You know why? Because it's sim we're simply going to reflect what's already happening in heaven. Let's pray together. And God, I want to thank you so much for this book that has the opportunity to change our lives for your spirit that's working in us. And Lord, I ask, I pray that we, as your people, would never forget when we took that first step to follow you. God, I want to pray for those right now who haven't made that decision but want to today. God, I know that it's a, it's a decision that will change their lives for the better. Forgiveness of sin, peace in their hearts, and eternity that's secure. God, that's what you offer us, and I thank you for that. Those of you that are making that decision today, I'm going to ask that you repeat this prayer out loud. Because here's what I know is that this prayer, prayed in sincerity, is one that God will answer and He will act right now.
Just right now, just pray. Just say, dear God, I open my heart and I invite you in. I ask that you forgive me of all I've done wrong. I thank you for Jesus who died for me that I might have life. I want to follow you starting right now. In Jesus' name, amen.